I'm Simon. This is Milo. I'm Milo. Welcome. Welcome to, to Pro's Art Show. 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 Enjoy. Enjoy. Up, and between I, the two, you'll split the difference. Yeah, I, that's why I'm just yeah, like, I don't even yeah. know what I'm thinking. It, yeah, just, I, I can see a, I, I see a big spike here. As long as I line up with your big spike, exactly, it'll be fine. we're gonna be fine. Okay, well, this is the thing with you and me. And you can start, you can use this as part of the podcast. It's just like when we plan things, you know, like uh, remember when we go with Campbell, we try to plan a restaurant and it's a get rich quick scheme. We spent half the time arguing about <laughs> the name of the restaurant and the logo that was gonna be on the sign. We never talked about how we were gonna get money, what the theme of the restaurant was gonna be, where it was gonna be, more importantly, how we were gonna get money. <laughs> and we just got nowhere. Because we, we couldn't settle on a theme. Here, we can't even get to recording the podcast because we're trying to clap at the same time to line up our levels. Do you remember when uh, we tried forming a band in grade eight? I spent more time trying to design the album artwork because I had all that planned. And then it, and my guitar was sitting there collecting dust yes. than trying to play my guitar and write songs. Meanwhile, we don't have any songs, but we got a name and we got a logo. There, and apart from you and me, we don't have a band. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we tried doing that one <laughs> practice also, at my house. Let me, let me remind people one more thing. This is a band of me and Brian that he constantly threatened to kick me out of. <laughs> constantly. You'd find other people. Oh, I heard this guy plays the drums. You know what? Maybe you don't need, need Teddy and his dumb saxophone. Good God. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> I remember the one time you did that to me. It was me, you, and Brian O'Brien who was going to be our drummer. And uh, I tr- swear we're going to get right into the podcast. And uh, you'd kick me out of the van <laughs> during class. So we had our break, and I ran right over to where he'd be. <laughs> and I said, hey, Brian, just kick me out of the van. You st- stick with me, and you're going to Brian. He goes, well, I'm very happy you came to find me. Because of that, I'm sticking with you. And I'm like, that's right. I'll show that Brian he doesn't have a band. <laughs> I mean, the one practice we invited him to, he never even came anyway. I think he went and played hockey. Hey, we, I went out on his rollerblades somewhere, so we didn't. We never had a drummer. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, the story of us trying to make a band happen. Uh, if you haven't been able to tell just yet, it's Ted and Brian, and it's the Canada <laughs> FM podcast, where we do a deep dive into Canadian bands whose songs, because we're starting to learn as we go through this podcast, that they did make an impression outside of Canada. It just wasn't with their music, because we, we found out that with the Moffats a couple weeks ago, they made it as producers, Rock and Hyde, producers. You know, you, you have a lot of different elements that you can do in the musical field, and uh, a lot of people do make it, uh, despite their bands not making it. But we're going with the bands, and today, we're trying something a little different. This long pause is here for you to jump in here and say what we're doing different. Oh. Sorry, I thought that was like a uh, pause for dramatic effect and you're going to answer your own question. I was waiting for yes. you. I've been hogging the mic. 
we, what else is new? Your big ham that likes yeah. to hear himself speak. A little bit. Little um, bit. But yes, today we are starting off with the Philosopher Kings and then be doing a little pivot into the offshoot projects. In particular, the lead singer Jarvis Church, who had a couple of solo albums. And uh, I think it was the rhythm section or guitar players. It was bass and I don't guitar. Know, but, yeah, bass and guitar. Uh, uh, who formed Prozac, the animated duo of Simon and Milo and their search for, well, I guess it's Simon's search for love. Uh, the whole story is ridiculous, but we'll get back into that. But, but you know what? There's a point to that story, but we will eventually get there. And uh, I, I'm going to have to apologize right off the bat for this episode. So we, we are going to start with the Philosopher Kings because that's where this episode kind of evolves around. Um, there is a shockingly lack of of details on the early history of the Philosopher Kings. I looked high and low throughout the internet. I even emailed their management team, the Philosopher Kings management team. They never got back to me on just some early history of the band, you know? Uh, You know, how were they formed? Where did they all meet? This, that, and the other early shows. Nothing. Here's what I got. The story of their name. Uh, (laughs) It's a quote from Plato's Republic on how an idealistic government would be ruled by philosopher kings. Uh, That's the name of the band. That's where they got it from. And that's all I got. So if I had to make a wild, if I had to make a wild uh, allegation, it's probably, they probably started it in college somewhere because most college students have to take some bullshit philosophy class and they're probably stone playing Frisbee in the quad and we're like, that's so deep. The philosopher kings. Yeah. But here's the, the thing. Frizz. I can sort of get with you on that, but they are so good on their instruments. Uh, these weren't just a bunch of dudes who uh, uh, just they definitely to hang weren't out. bros. Exactly. These guys had some background in music before they made this band. They're, they're just too good. Uh, well, I'll do a roll call. How's that? The original 1993 lineup consisted of Gerald Eaton on vocals, James Brian McCollum and Brian West on guitar, Craig Hunter on drums, who was later replaced by Denton White, and the Levine brothers, Jason and John, on bass and keyboards, respectively. Uh, Both were later replaced in the band by Mark Rogers and Matt Griffin, respectively. That's all of the members of the Philosopher Kings. I got them all out in that one shot. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's pretty good, all things considered. Uh, when you look at the density of their music, all the different instrumentalists that are in, like the song structure and those early jazzy ones, that they haven't had more turnover. Because you think that you get more like sax people or rhythm people just coming and going, but they've kept it pretty tight. That would be, they'd have, definitely have a cool look if they added a horn section. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome if they ever did that. <laughs> uh, and they have some songs that feature the horn section, but uh, as a whole, it's not really what they do. But still, hey, hey, you know what? They're still making music, so there's always time to add a horn section. Oh, yeah. Uh, their debut re- album was released on Columbia Records on September 21st, 1994, and it reached gold status up here, which is pretty good for a debut album that didn't have a whole lot of hype around it. People weren't anxiously re- waiting for the Philosopher Kings. They just kind of showed up one day. Um, the opening tr- Also, sorry, I just wanted to jump in real quick. I don't know if you'll get to the musicality of it all, but when you factor in that how jazzy this album is and yeah. the style of it, it's very it's R&B, but not the R&B that was kind of going on in the 90s. You know, not your Brandies, your that type of R&B, your, uh, what's that band, Next? 
Remember next? <laughs> Out of all the R and B groups, you could have chose the first one that. Yeah, it was the first one that came to me. It's the first one that came to me. Usher, I guess, technically at that time was R and B. You haven't even said Mariah Carey yet, who sold like more records than anybody in the nineties. But no, next. I thought that's I thought she was go. more next. pop. Well, I thought she was pop, more pop than R and B. Pop and R. Her first album's R and B all the way. All right, we're splitting hairs here. All anyway, right. the, their their style of R and B was much different. Theirs is more harkened back to like that seventies soul R&B that uh, they probably grew up on, especially because Eaton, a.k.a. Jarvis Church, being from Jamaica, probably yes. was influenced by some of that stuff. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, one thing that may have helped the sales for that, too, is the fact that there was a lack of that there, and a lot of places would need music like that. Like, before, my uncle is a quite a renowned chef. He, he cooked on Parliament Hill for a long time. Um, and he used to have a restaurant in Ottawa called Juniper. So if you remember Juniper, that was my Uncle Mike. Um, he would have to go and buy music for the restaurant. It's not like nowadays where you just plug into satellite radio. Whoever owned yeah. the restaurant would have to supply CDs. And you'd play those, or you'd just play the radio. But no, you don't want to go to a classic joint and hear car yeah, that's, commercials that's every probably- 15 minutes. Yeah, that's something for like a crappy diner or something, just having like a staticky radio or a Exactly. Jukebox. Exactly. So he, this is before that days did before the days of the Kojiko music stations that just played music the whole time. He'd have to go and buy it. And now this is this is not a knock against this album. I'm not calling this like elevator music. In fact, I fucking loved this album. It's the opposite. Uh, it's very much the opposite of that, but it's good dinner music. It's something yeah. that you go into a place and when you hear this jazzy R and B stuff, it feels hip. And I can imagine yeah. oh, that giving yeah. it a boost in sales because it's great for that kind of ambience, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, and as you can tell from that, as we get into the singles for this, yes, me and Brian both loved this <laughs> debut Philosopher Kings album. The opening track is a cool, funky little number called Turn My Head Around, which reached number six on the RPM Canadian singles charts. But far and away, the breakout single for this album was Charms. New York jazzy number to date is the band's only single to chart in the U.S., reaching number 36 on the top 40 charts. Of course, it was it was a hit down there. It was going to be a bigger success up here. It reached number 16. Uh, that was the only song I remember ever seeing getting any kind of airplay on much music was Charms. Honestly, they didn't really pop up on my radar till the next album with uh, yeah. Hurts to Love You, so I, I don't have much recollection of this, but... I just remember it's, seeing it through Spotlight. Great. Well, do you remember much Spotlight? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that of the Philosopher Kings, and that was the only video they played off of that album. Look, he's on his phone. Okay. He's on his no, phone. No, no, I'm just, there, I thought there was a song on here that's on the next album. I just wanted to make oh, sure, because I didn't want to start okay. talking out of my ass. So, hold up, just calm yourself. I'm not texting people. All right, all right, fair enough. Well, anyhow, while Brian is looking up Philosopher King songs, um, I'm going to walk you through how this did in the eyes of the critics. All right, you good? Yes. There you go. All right. Uh, well, just like me and Brian, the critics really like this album. Uh, however, as you know, the Junos are weird. So even though the album was released in 1994, it wasn't eligible for a Juno until 1996. But it still did pretty good. Oh the Kings were nominated Junos for... Junos are a hot mess. I know. Uh, the I'm going to make fun of the Junos again just for our friend Jake, who may or may not listen. Do you hear that, Jake? Junos <laughs> are a trash award show. <laughs> what the fuck? 
put a bit of this for a second, just for some clarity. Uh, we've been getting some feedback um, from our friends because you know what? The ones who are going to give you their honest opinion are going to be like, oh, yeah, it was good, are the people who are closest to you. Um, our friend Jake was very offended that for several episodes in a row we've been trashing the Judo Awards. He says they're a celebration of the Canadian music and we should celebrate Canadian music, which we are doing in our own way, but we should also honor the Judo Awards. And I don't think that we really criticize them. I remember when uh, Sloan won over Treble Charge, we were like, oh yeah, you got that one right, Judo. It's a good job. You know what I mean? But just, it's, they're weird, especially in the term, terms of urban music. Let's face it. Junos, rap, hip hop, and R and B, they 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 kind of they were weird with those two genres. What was it? Maestro had to wait two years before there was even a hip hop section uh category that he could be eligible for? Like they, yeah, they've been weird. And, well it's not only that it's not just the Junos that get it wrong. You can watch any award show. Oh big time. And uh, like you, I mean, everyone might have their favorite movie that they're pulling for in like an Oscar pool or a favorite show, but sometimes it's what's actually the best isn't always what gets it. And you're right in the in the '90s, early '90s, when grunge and guitar based kind of rock were all over the place, there was all these new genres that are kind of starting to make a way for themselves: the hip hop, the R and B, dance, pop, and can't, the Junos were. Like they were I mean, they always make yeah, they always make fun of our styles back in the '90s that we were late on the American trends. Well, it's the same thing with uh, the awards. Yeah, exactly. We were slow up here, but I don't know. I I I'm gonna continue to rag on the Junos uh, yes. because you know what? Their award shows and award shows in general are kind of silly. Yes. Um, but getting back to the Kings. Okay, so they got two Juno Award nominations off of this album. One was for R&B and Soul Recording of the Year, but unfortunately they'd lose to Deborah Cox on that one. However, they did come away with the Juno for Best New Group. Here are some of the bands they beat. They beat Hemingway Corner, who I've never heard of. Nope. They beat the alternative rock band Sandbox, which featured a young Mike Bubbles Smith from Trailer Park Boys fame on guitar. Huh. Yeah, that went through before a loop. They beat Rhymes with Orange. I remember their name. I remember seeing a video of theirs on Much Music. I do not remember what they sounded like. And the future Finger Eleven, the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. I remember sitting at a diner or at a restaurant at my at my parents or my grandmother's cottage up in Port Carling. And yeah. someone, my brother bought them up. I thought he was making up a band. He's like, have you ever heard of the Rainbow Butt Monkeys? I'm like, it sounds like you're making this up. And he just couldn't stop <laughs> laughing at it. <laughs> There's no wonder. The funny thing is they changed it to Finger Eleven, which is like still like kind of like a, a dick joke. You know? it's, either a dick, it's either a dick joke or a freak joke. I don't know. but Yeah, well, it's not nice to make fun of freaks. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, probably you kidding. If, if I got you, if the book of freaks existed, you and your brother would be sitting on the couch laughing your head off like Larry and Jeff. This is an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm here, right? <laughs> Three penises. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, the genre bouncing. Let's talk about why we love this album. Because for me, I love the genre, genre bouncing on this. It's off the hook. Jazz, blues, soul, funk. There's some R&B. Um, there's even like a little bit of rock on here and a little bit of folk. Gerald Eaton might be the best pure singer we've ever profiled on Canada FM. Love this man's voice to death. And uh, it's a good bass album. If you appreciate good yeah. bass playing, Jason Levine kills it on this. Um, yeah, 
anybody who wants to expand their bass playing beyond rock, get this album. Yeah, because uh, with with jazz and kind of soul type bands, the rhythm section is a key factor. And then if you don't have a great rhythm section, you ain't got shit. And they, uh, their you rhythm section nothing. is tight. That's right. Well, the, the whole musicianship as a whole was incredibly yeah. tight, which probably enabled them to do a lot of the things that they would do going forward, which we'll get into. Uh, see, I think you're going to join me on this. Put it up there with those two maestro albums and No Stranger to Danger as one of the all-time classics that we've covered on oh, yeah. this without yeah, question. Yeah. Critics largely agreed with us, too, there, Brian. One called it a refreshing break from the Stone Bush Jam and weightless dance music that was eating up radio airwaves at the time. Stone Bush Jam. I like that. The fuck does that mean? It's <laughs> Stone Temple Pilots Bush and Pearl Jam mixed together. Oh, yeah. Remember how we had Theory of a Nickel Fault later? That was Stone <laughs> Bush Jam. So That's fair. Makes sense to me. Uh, the band toured extensively through this time. In fact, they were included among the swath of Canadian alternative rock bands that would make up the first touring Edgefest lineup. But they also expanded into Europe, where things played well. However, during that time, tensions between bassist Jason Levine and guitarist James Brian McCollum got so bad that the two tangled in a fistfight. They knew for the good of the band that they had to put aside their differences, so in an unconventional exercise, they started recording music together. Inspired by their European tour, they recorded a techno song called Europa that saw Levine sing in an English accent. Now, while this didn't remotely fit what the Philosopher Kings were doing at that time, it did catch the ear of executives with Sony Music. Remember that remember that <laughs> you sound like you're in blues clues you're like or like bob ross you're like you see you got this little clue right here i'm just gonna tuck that back over here for later <laughs> a little bob rossy <laughs> yeah uh the philosopher king sophomore album was released on october 7th 1997 and it was called famous rich and beautiful it was their most successful release reaching platinum status in canada peaking at number 62 on the album charts. And it's basically where you and I first became aware of the Philosopher Kings. And I remember Hurts to Love You was the first video I saw by them. And they're in the Playboy Mansion. They're wearing suits. Um, Eaton is wearing like a long trench coat, I want to say. I think he had like leopard print pants. And... For whatever reason, maybe it was the chorus. I think a lot of it had to do with his voice. I thought these were the coolest guys ever. That was my definition of cool. Leopard print, for whatever reason. The boss yeah, that has a voodoo daddy. Cherry Poppin' daddies. All One these time... swing bands and stuff with a big leopard print. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, and that hasn't changed. One time when we were younger, we were going to a buddy's house to play cards, and Ted's like, ah, oh, we're going to a card game, gotta, gotta show up like a card shark, and uh, wear something uh, sharp. And so he wears this button-down uh, leopard print stripe on both sides, and he gets like no compliments. Shirt. Yeah, it's a leopard print bowling shirt. I was wearing some basic echo shirt with like stripes on this the sides and because our our friends who we were playing cards with were all kind of hip-hop like early 2000s hip-hop heads they loved the fitty they loved the jay-z the eminem they loved my shirt 
And Ted got so... It's the one time Ted did not get adulation for something like that. And he was so bitter. I was fishing, too. I was like, feel it. <laughs> feel it. It's all fuzzy. Yeah, cool. <laughs> feel it. Oh, yeah. No, I was bummed. Yeah, because I thought it was... And then I stopped wearing it for a while. I, I wear it now. It still fits me. I still have it. But... I thought that was cool. That was like a Philosopher Kings shirt. Um, I actually wound up buying this album. I was so impressed with it. But I'll give you my thoughts because I now eighth grade Teddy and mm-hmm. modern Teddy, different listening ears. So yeah. I'll let you know what I thought of it as we go along. But this thing was a hit machine. Five singles came off this album. There was You Stepped On My Life, which saw Gerald Eaton figure skate in the video. Um, didn't chart. But you... Stepped on my life, dug your teeth in, tore out my soul, threw me back again, darling. You Don't Love Me Like You Used To Do, which was so much better than I remembered on the album. Like, I remember it being kind of one of the slow ones off the album. The video is a bunch of insects humping. I don't know if you've ever seen it. <laughs> I think they're playing the Royal Botanical Gardens. And then you see like ladybugs having sex and stuff like that. And it is a bop. It's a really, really good one. Um, they covered Godly and Cream with Cry. That came in uh, number 13 on the charts. Um, and uh, Hurts. Where am I here? Oh, here we go. Hurts to Love You, which was the one that I got the most recognition out of, uh, that I remembered best, actually was the second highest charting uh, single off this album. For whatever reason, I thought it was the highest, but that only reached number eight. And then the big kickoff single was I Am The Man. I'm the man, baby. That's what I am. I'm a straight shooter with a master plan. Which got to, to all the way to number seven. And that's a great freaking song. Oh. It's, I mean, it's in a, in kind of modern rock speak. It's basically the equivalent of, you know, how hip hop albums always have at least one boasting song where they're just talking about their yes. clothes and everything. This is the rock equivalent where he's just like, he's like, you all ain't shit. I'm the best. It's it. And as soon as I put that on, it was an instant throwback to when I first yeah. heard it. And the first thing that popped into my head, and I told you this a few weeks ago, but it just uh, is uh, that episode of Silicon Valley, the HBO show where they were meeting this one eccentric guy and he looks at Guilfoyle, Martin Starr, and he goes, this guy fucks. Yes. And that's, <laughs> and that's what I was feeling. Gerard Eaton fucks, no doubt about it. Does Gerard Eaton ever... You know what? This is before our, our R&B boom of the 2000s when yeah. we had a lot of big R&B acts coming out later. But at the time, there wasn't much. Would you say maybe Gerald Eaton was our prince in Canada, you're yeah. not talking about the yeah. Okay, uh, I would say he's the closest thing we got. Yeah, if, I mean, he. I don't think he plays guitar or any of that stuff. But in terms of pure singing and stuff, because he can hit multiple plays octaves. Guitar. Oh, does he? Uh, yeah. Well, he sings on multiple registers, and his songs often. Like, I don't know. Is he the primary lyricist? Or he might be. He probably is. <laughs> don't catch uh, me with my pants down. <laughs> Jack, hold on. I'm assuming he is because he seemed very personal to him. But uh, his there's often a lot of kind of romance and sex involved, just like Prince. So yeah, I'd say you can uh, compare him to Prince. Well, but, here's what. Go ahead. 
No, I just wanted to say when you're talking about those uh, those singles. Well, first of all, I'm surprised Cry didn't chart more or at all. Well, Cry, Cry she... did, but it got to number thirteen. That's not terrible. Okay, but also, I'm uh, you stepped on my life was actually one of my favorites because I listened oh, really? to it. That's a good tip. I listened. I listened to it the first time, and I was like, I thought it was good. But I was driving home last night, and it just came on, and it just felt very like so much like more swing than I remember. And I, I thought it was fantastic. Like yeah, when in a few episodes when we go to make our little recap and make our little mixtape, that one might uh, might find its way on my side. Well, there you go. I, I like the sounds of that. Uh, what was I going to say about this album? Um, I, uh, by the way, Wikipedia, did, I don't have the liner notes in front of me, so that's okay. I, I do remember um, when I bought this as a kid, I, I put it on right after I bought it and loved all the singles and all the songs that would become single. Because at the time, uh, You Don't Love Me Like You Used to Do wasn't a single yet. Um, Stepped on My Life wasn't a single yet. There was also a track towards the end where he utilized uh, like a heart monitor, uh, The New Messiah. Where he was basically yeah. comparing himself to Jesus. And I thought, that's a <laughs> fucking awesome song. Really like that. But the rest of the album, when you are in the seventh grade and you're just entering puberty and you're coming to the realization that girls your age don't really find you all that attractive. <laughs> smush music like this um, can sometimes make you a little little upset, a little smush sexually music. frustrated. What are you fucking uh, Jake Peralta? It's like smooshing booties. Oh, that's from uh, you, know, you, you got the the show right. It was Brooklyn Nine Nine, but that's um, oh god, what's his nuts? No, 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 no. Uh, Doug Judy, Doug oh, Robinson, right. <laughs> Craig Robinson's character, Doug Judy. He always says smush music, so that's where I got that from. Uh, it can make you a little, yeah, a little, you know. Well, I hope I get a girlfriend so I can play this for her. But until then, my friends aren't gonna like it, and. Yeah, it just kind of honestly, I <laughs> just kind of bummed me out. You're you're you were far more introspective than I was back then. Then because at first <laughs> I only thought I only listened to the melodies and I listened to the rhythm because as I was only about three four years into listening to music, like I got my first tape in '94, Green mm. Day's Dookie, and '97 '98 was when I started buying a lot more CDs, and I was more listening to the the melodies, the the guitar-driven music, and all these things. I didn't really start paying attention to lyrics, um, with the exception of one song, uh, off of Dookie. Ah, uh, shit. What's the one where he's like, "I'm all busted up." Oh dun, shit! Dun, yeah. Dun. Or he's just violent. Is she disturbed? And then I yeah. tell you that uh, oh. it's not. Oh, That's fuck. not from Dookie. It's from Nimrod, isn't it? No, it's uh, hey, you're, you're sure thinking. It's oh, you're right. It is from Dookie. Yeah, um, like there was on. that one and uh, Basket Case. That was when I was actually paying attention to the lyrics. So I was like, "Oh, these are Billy Joe's gun." <laughs> but uh, but it wasn't until I was a bit older that I really started to pay attention to the the lyrics and start to fawn like stuff like the Smiths and stuff where I was just like, oh, "So romantic." <laughs> I wasn't pulling teeth, was it? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, okay, key. there you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, getting back to this one. So eventually, I sold this album to The Beat Goes On. Just because it also didn't fit in with the rest of my collection at the time. Because there weren't any bands like The Philosopher Kings. There weren't actual bands with instruments that were 
playing this funky R&B thing that kind of were an island to themselves. So it's almost, you know, when you're that age and you're looking for an identity and you find this band that you think is really cool, but there's no like identity around them, you don't know what to do with it. And because we were constantly in the need for money back then, I sold it to the beat goes on. So, but you know, now as an adult, I, right, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I almost want to say my piece about like why they didn't make a bigger splash now instead of kind of save it just because I know we're going to be bouncing between a couple of bands. And it's yeah, okay. So go, go ahead. Well, those first two albums in particular are very jazz influenced, very uh, genre bending, which I don't think the world was ready for. It wasn't until the two thousand like. 2010s when the you know indie started to really their fusion synth and rock and all these other things and then amy winehouse came out and really started to experiment with all these different throwback genres and stuff yeah that i think the philosopher kings were just a little ahead of their time to be honest i i totally agree with you i think that if they came out in like 2004 2005 and released that self-titled album then and then famous rich and beautiful just as they're going i think they would have played played that out because they would have fit fit great like a bruno mars you know they're way better than maroon five and maroon five was (laughs) kind of like the band of that era that had their instruments and you know played pop and stuff like that so i think they would have found their niche a lot better and of course urban music out of toronto was killing it at that point so i think the philosopher kings would have been right on that train and not only that um around the same time like early 2000s like late 90s like Stuff like the Wyclef's The Carnival. I was just listening to it this morning. That's why it's kind of fresh in my head. And, you know, like Lauren Hill and all these people that were also kind of experimenting with other things were getting huge. And so I think if they were, if those albums came out and they kind of lined up around the same time, they could have had better travel and touring mates and some of these other American bands. And I think it would have helped blow them up. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes when you're ahead of the game, you just kind of got to <laughs> bite the yeah. dust a little bit, you know? Uh, but yeah, as you can tell, as an adult, I really, really like this album. They do abandon the New York jazz sound that was really featured so heavily on the first album. They go for a more pop, funk, maybe retro soul feel than that first album. Uh, it's a great next logical step of evolution for the Philosopher King sound. Um it's not as good as the first one, but that's like saying, you know, Da Vinci's follow-up to the Mona Lisa wasn't as good. It's it's still really good. It's just not as good as that first one. Unfortunately, this would be the last new music we'd hear from the Philosopher Kings for quite some time. They put out an, a live album the following year, um, which included the single If I Ever Lose This Heaven, which reached number 44 on the Canadian charts. But they were largely inactive for another decade. Of course... This gave them time to pursue other projects. Castles uh, think- come out. Castles was on two thousand in two thousand six on the third release. Okay, which we're gonna it's get to. Th- okay, <laughs> don't worry. Just a lot of stuff happened in that. I the- know, I know. <laughs> Boy, I, I send you the script ahead of time for a reason. You can at least glance yeah. at it. 
I don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first show we ever did. A little peeling back the curtain here. He's giving me a hard time when we did the uh, Conaline Crush album that he was guessing some of the steps ahead and stuff like that and rushing it. He's like, I need to be prepared for this, Ted. you got to send me the script. So I've been sending you the script every week and you don't read them. Uh, I glance at it. <laughs> ah, blah, 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 blah. Start reading as you're prepared for this. I studied like I studied in high school. I opened the book. (laughs) All right. Anything else you'd like to add about the Philosopher Kings from the 90s? No, I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that Euro techno project that Jason Levine and James Brian McCollum were uh, working on. Do you remember when I told you to remember that European English accent track Europa that they recorded? Well, Sony Music liked it, and they decided to let them record an album's worth of songs like that. Kind of a parody of uh, the Euro dance music that was going on at the time. So they thought it'd be weird if two like older Canadian guys were doing this kind of parody, I guess, of uh, Euro music. So they, they came up with a couple of characters. And this was before the Gorillas. This was before cartoon bands were a big thing. They performed songs as characters named Simon and Milo, and they called the entire project Prozac. And uh, I know Brian and some other people like to criticize me for drawing a lot of stuff for the podcast from Wikipedia. But I'm about to read an entry verbatim from Wikipedia just because just reading this about the band's history is easier than paraphrase. You want me to paraphrase and get something wrong about the history of Prozac? Yes. There's no, short nothing thing. you could nothing you could find from an actual website of theirs. This is from the liner that, notes. There's right. actually a cartoon that you can watch on YouTube about the history of Prozac if you want to see it. As like in character, Simon and Milo universe. Here we go. I've seen Simon it. Simon and Milo are over 200 years old and were enemies in a previous life. Simon and Milo fought each other in a 20-year-old war called Ochiaki. During their battle with each other, a great unseen voice projected down from the sky and told them that they were to be best friends, sent through time to the 21st century where they were given a mission. That mission was for the two to find true love through their music very similar to the rocky friendship between Levine and McCollum. There. Was that so bad? <laughs> also, that if you so don't want to... so horrible that I read a little blip off of Wikipedia? Ask the people who have said, uh, who have criticized you for it. The same guy that criticized us for r- ripping on the Junos. Eh, other Brian did too, but either way. Um, oh, great! We sell him down the river. <laughs> I'll say it to your face, but um, if you don't want to listen to us talk about it, there's or if you want to fast forward this part, there's also a very entertaining but kind of confusing video on the on YouTube with all their other music videos. It's just a quick three four minute video, and it explains the whole thing. Very interesting, still very odd, but I mean it is interesting how they um, just like the gorillas, this whole mythology of characters and backgrounds that they created. I'm surprised they didn't turn it into, I guess it wasn't as fashionable back then, but to try to turn it into some sort of uh, romance comic, like Archie Comics or something like that, but like Gorillas turned it into a comic. They did. I don't think they had really the capital to back a comic book. That's true. 
maybe a web well, series to, to just have a, a little cartoon yeah, short or flash video thing. Yeah, that was enough. Now, actually, speaking of that, do you remember the marketing for this album? Yes, uh, I remember the video for. I can't ever pronounce it right. Oh, my ball Yeah. And it's from the perspective of, uh, I assume it's Simon because he's just walking through the crowd or so, or this, this room, this back room, just passing he, people. Yeah, he's kind of like, he, he's like waking up, going through a hotel, getting on a plane, getting off the plane, going through backstage. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I think you can find that on YouTube. I think they call that the rave edit because there's, unless this is a different version, because there's another version where you're just walking through these like sketchy corridors and things where people just have like glow sticks and they're just raving out. Okay. Uh, but it's it's from the perspective of just the camera. Yeah. But they call that's the they called that the rave edit online. I like that video. I thought it was a cool video. Way better than the all animated video because I know they released one to kind of like go go inside with sucks to be you and all that, but I like the uh, the first person shot and then they look at themselves in the mirror and they're like, "Are you ready, my counterpart?" I said, "I am, Simon." And they go on yeah. stage and perform. I, I love that. And that's the other thing too. At the start of the first album, and I'm gonna play this clip at the beginning of the show because it's okay. a nice little fun intro where he's like, oh, "I'm Simon, and this is Milo. I'm Milo, and welcome." the Prozac's hot show enjoy it's just yeah. like it's so strange and also their accents are fucking terrible is milo supposed to be like swedish or south african i thought they were both supposed to be british yeah but that's like saying we sound like people from saskatchewan they all have different accents i know but i haven't sat there under a micro <laughs> it's uk how's that they don't sound like a welshman they don't sound like they're from northern ireland they sound UK. Okay? Okay. All right. Well, you know, the, the, the first time I ever saw this was actually a commercial on Much Music. And the screen kind of goes black, black. And you just hear, they just play the chorus for Amabala Sheree with no music. It's Amabala Sheree. Ah, ah, ah. And then slowly you see the logo coming up. Just Simon and Milo Prozac. Amabala Sheree. Hey, on because I'm on my way. Hot show. And it gives you the date. And then that was it. That's all they played. And it was this quick music video. <laughs> I didn't know. So because of that voice, that, to me, in my little ears, it sounded like, you might as well be walking on the sun. So, <laughs> I thought it was Smash Mouth. <laughs> I thought, what's Smash Mouth doing? <laughs> Calling oh themselves God. Prozac. I don't get it. So then I thought, maybe the guy from Smash Mouth has a side project. Never in a million years expecting this had anything to do with the Philosopher Kings. And they would actually keep that identity a secret for a while. People didn't know until I think Much did a thing that like, hey, we're also members of the Philosopher Kings. Well, it's yeah, because I remember uh, it was either uh, it was either something I saw or maybe something you told me. You're like, you know, Prozac's from the is is in the Philosopher Kings. And I thought it was the Ugh. lead singer for years. I thought it was Gerard. Really? doesn't sound like him because <laughs> no one corrected me yeah. this is before people lived online to try to find this shit out so it's yeah. you were basically at the mercy of news uh, magazine articles stuff on much or uh liner notes for the most or part ass- and, and assumptions the occasional that you make on your own yeah there's that too yeah 
Well, this first album was released on November 2nd, 1998, and it easily outsold anything the Philosopher Kings ever did. Brian Hot Show went triple platinum in Canada. In fact, in the 20-year period since 1996 and 2016, it was in the top 60 selling albums by a Canadian artist in Canada, which is pretty good. It peaked at number eight on the album charts and even got an American release the following year. Five singles came from this album. You had New York, which didn't chart. Strange Disease, which reached number 52. I got a strange disease. Two weeks ago, you said you'd never leave me. All My Ball of Charay, the de- debut single, which is my personal favorite. All My Ball of Charay. That only reached number 50. It wasn't that big a hit. Uh, And then also Europa, the song that started it all, which got up to number 45. The song. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. You finish your bit. Okay. Because as long as it doesn't have to do with the song I didn't mention yet. You can say your piece. If it has something to do with the song I didn't mention yet, then uh, don't say anything. No, I was just gonna say out of okay. all the singles, out of all the singles and the one you're about to mention, because I know which yeah. one you're about to mention. Yeah, 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 I yeah. thought I thought Strange Disease was actually the one that uh, was gonna chart the best because um, really, I thought it was the most catchiest. I mean, All okay. My Ball of Charade is very catchy, but it was it was it was it seems shorter than the others and i have to double check that and so it's like short catchy punch you're in you're out um whereas the other ones felt a little like they're still great i still love the album but they they're longer a little more repetition so i don't know mm. I just for me i thought strange is, and also the video to this day still throws me because and this kind <laughs> of strange been, disease yeah, yeah uh because they're supposed to be, I mean, I know they're 200 years old, but for the case of this, where they're at in their lives for this, like, are they in high school? Because it starts off with yeah. Milo taking Simon to the school nurse. Um, and and then he's telling the hot nurse how he's, uh, he's like, sexually frustrated. I'm like, I, I mean, I get it. What teenager isn't sexually frustrated <laughs> exactly. at, the, at that age? But at the same time, he's like, he's also jet setting around the world meeting like African princesses and stuff like that. So, <laughs> Clearly so, he's not in high school unless it's some 21 Jump Street shit. What I have to guess is, okay, so we know that they are definitely in their 20s or 30s because they fought in a 20-year-old war. So let's just say you're 18, you got enlisted in that war. Okay, that took 20 years. You're 38. Now you're being teleported through time to the 21st century, okay? I think maybe the reason why they sent these 38-year-olds to class <laughs> is to kind of catch up on what they may have missed. So, I don't know. The Great Unseen one probably wasn't there. They're probably like, hello. (laughs) We're from the... (laughs) We're we're over 200 years old. We'd uh, (laughs) we'd like a little education on what we missed. No, not the life from Smash Mouth. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The the other thing, too, is assuming this battle... I mean, I know they're over 200 years old. Yeah. 
so I guess that said the but in that little cartoon, it uh-huh. looks like they're in they're in like the age of enlightenment because they're wearing like knights of the round table type shit or like and Milo's wearing this old like Norseman type getup. Um, they really went out of their way to make this as confusing as possible. <laughs> So I think when you when you when you've got all these different times and inconsistencies thrown into a storyline, you know what the best thing to do is? Just go with it. Say fuck it. It's a silly marketing ploy. I know, but I, just, I, I, I know we're paying way too close attention to this and poking some <laughs> unnecessary holes. It just bothered me. Plus, it's Simon fun, though, never isn't it? having. It is fun. Plus, Simon never having a neck, but Miles got a big thick neck. I still don't understand. Oh, maybe, man, I don't know. Maybe that was a time travel issue. You know, one guy loses his neck, the other guy gets some extra neck. <laughs> also, like I want to say, I want to say one last thing before you go into the next single. The, for the, I guess you can call it the more literal inversion of All My Ballish Array, where they're actually traveling and he meets the African princess. Yes. There's a part, there's a part that cracks me up where they're on the plane and for some reason they're watching White Men Can't Jump and Milo's crying. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the last thing I'll say. Aside from being a catchy song, that video cracks me up because you see them. And also, they're they're like they're going on a couple of donkeys, like riding it around, and the yeah. donkey gets tired, and so Milo's carrying the donkey over one shoulder and Simon on the other. Is he on the donkey still? No. Well, I guess he's, yeah, he's riding he his, his donkey. He, so he's, he's riding, no, he's he's riding his donkey. <laughs> he's carrying with, the, with uh, another one. donkey. So that's that's some kind of donkey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's some kind of donkey. So yeah, all that's right. all I'll say. The videos cracked me up, but uh, continue with the next single. The runaway hit from this album was a little song called "Sucks to Be You." Sucks to be you. I'm a bad man. Things true. Things she did to me is what I did to you. And it was basically a meme before memes were a thing. The saying appeared on all kinds of merchandise promoting the band, as well as a ton of other shit that had nothing to do with the band. The saying was everywhere. It was like, wise up before there was a wise up, or the Budweiser frogs, or it wasn't me. Something silly like that. This was <laughs> sucks to be you in Canada was a thing. I remember, the, what, was, what was the show called? Uh, uh, the Much Music one where you, you, you get to go meet your favorite band. Do you remember what that was called? Strombo um, hosted it. Fuck, what was it called? Uh, like, it was uh, like much music, I- not icons. I-, I can't remember. But basically, the premise was you wrote it. It was called Meet say- the Band, was it? I thought Meet the Band was. I think you got well, was- confused with Making the Band. Yeah, there was Making the Band, and then. Eh, shit. I'm going to see if I can Google much it. Much music wasn't, wasn't ever, like, obvious with their names of their show, they made you guess. So regardless of what the name of the show was, the first guy who won won a trip to go meet Fred Durst. And they asked him, Hi, oh, do you have anything to say for the people watching at home? And the first thing he said was, sucks to be you, as if we all want to really go meet Fred Durst. And uh, <laughs> it cracked Strombolopolis up. He started losing his shit. He thought it was hilarious. So, yeah, the saying sucks to be you was very, very popular in Canada in the late 90s, thanks to this song. Levine says it's part inspired by an awkward encounter he had with a groupie. And it's also inspired by a Woody Allen routine, which I have not seen. It peaked at number 25 of the Canadian charts. I'm shocked it didn't get higher. However, it did reach number one on the only chart that matters. And that is, of course, the Much Music Countdown. (laughs) 
Any luck in finding the name of that show, Brian? Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's called Gonna Meet a Rockstar. Gonna Meet a Rockstar. That was it. Much Gonna Meet a Rockstar. So they were pretty obvious with that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I take back what I said about them not being obvious about the titles of their shows. Anyway, sucks to be you. With that being the highest uh, charting single of the bunch, of course, it got uh, Prozac a Juno nomination for best single in 2000. Uh, they were also nominated for best new group, and Hot Show was nominated for best album. And surprisingly, Strange Disease, which you loved so much, Brian, <laughs> got a nomination for best video. So there you go. Not you were the only person who thought the fact that they were in high school being sexually frustrated was hilarious. <laughs> can i call it or can i call it and i don't actually read wikipedia so this is like me just going off the top of my head however it failed to win any juno awards bitch. you know it's an interesting album hot show uh it's a lot better than most i mean i call prozac a novelty act do you think that's fair I mean, the fact that they hid behind animated characters and they had this whole cooked up thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, the music isn't novelty. It's it's just something of its time because the late 90s were, you know, pop was on the huge rise, especially Euro beats. The fact that I had that Euro dance 98 or 99, Much Dance, were doing those Much Dance or Much Music was doing the yeah. Much Dance yeah. albums. Uh, it was just rave culture was a big thing. Um, so, I mean, it's just from a tactical points okay. it just made the most sense to do it but yes is to create this whole thing behind it is a novelty yeah. act but having said that you make some excellent points there i think it's a lot better than what most uh, novelty acts end up p- producing um and i do like how the album makes you it, it's got to start and a finish to it you definitely feel like you've gone on a journey when you go through the album um and it definitely benefited from the austin powers craze of the late 90s as well um oh, yeah. i could see mike myers in full character covering any of these songs particularly shag tag that sounded nice. like an austin powers thing uh it's a fun little album and there's nostalgia did not wear off for me like it did for the moffats i told you about three songs and i was like all right Nostalgia way of over. No, this, this, this one carried, so so I like it. The one thing, Brian, that I discovered with the Philosopher Kings is that all of their musicians associated with the group have a passion for producing. In 1999, Gerald Eaton was invited to the Honey Jam Showcase in Toronto, where he discovered a young girl from British Columbia who had a song about a bird. Well, he produced her album with bandmate Brian West... Uh, they, they went up doing a, a, a team called Track and Field. That's what the Eaton West combination was called, Track and Field. And this album went on to sell 6 billion copies worldwide and earn Eaton and May a Juno, as well as a Grammy nomination for Producer of the Year. The album was Woe Nelly, and the artist was Nelly Furtado. That's right. <laughs> they are responsible for Nelly Furtado. And Gerald Eaton and Brian West can say they've got a Grammy nomination. Pretty damn good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. This was a cool thing, too, that happened in between Prozac releases. Well, okay, you want to say something and then keep going. Go ahead. You got to speak no, up, just, Brian. No, I was just more laughing at myself because you're like, not too bad. I was like, yeah. I was like, what a, what a dynamite, dynamite drop money. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just gonna, making me laugh. I was going to say, if you need to say anything, just blurt it out. Yeah. This, this is cool, though. You might like this. So they're in between albums. Uh, Lavina McCollum, Eaton and West, a.k.a. Track and Field, and they're both trying to produce some shit. So, Lavina McCollum, they found some time to produce some records 
uh, in between Prozac releases. In 2000, they wrote several songs for the boy band B44, including their runaway hit Get Down. Now, you, you got to play the part, and you know what part I'm talking about, Brian. Play it right here. Smut. <laughs> Ed the Sock would refer to this song as a sugar-coated fellatio fest. Oh my God. Now, even though it's now viewed as so bad it's good material, it reached number four in the singles charts, and it earned Levine and McCollum a Juno nomination for Producer of the Year. That was the same year that Eaton and West won for producing Nelly Furtado's album. So at the Junos that year, Philosopher Kings went against Philosopher Kings. <laughs> and Eaton and West won. And I think, you know what? I'm like a bird. Just a scotch better than uh, <laughs> Get Down by Before 4. Although, did uh, did you say that they both, like, both bands or both guys or all four guys co-wrote those specific songs or did they only produce it? No, no, no. They, so you got to divide them in two here, right? So Yeah, yeah. No, I got that. I'm just saying, Eaton, did they Eaton, did both yes, write? Okay. Did both yeah, parties write the songs as well as producing? Yeah, well, I believe that Nelly Furtado had a hand in writing her stuff. Right. Yes. Because, but I be- however, uh, Levine and McCollum wrote "Get Down." Okay, so I mean, the fact that that went up to number four, they, I be wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that probably made them more money. That song alone than anything they did in the Philosopher Kings. No, you're probably right, and it's it's shocking. I I don't think we hate ourselves that much that we'd ever do a B44 episode. But let's let's just kind of walk through B44. Over gelled hair, there's three of them. Two of them are twins. The one who's not a twin is at least somewhat hunky. The two that were twins, though, just look like freaks. <laughs> they these big eyes, these... Crazy expressions on their face. They always looked like they were so full of energy and so full of sugar. They were kind of a nightmare. And they dressed in like, they didn't dress like a boy. Like it was like an imitation of what a boy band should wear. Like their shirts were always ripped. Their jeans were like designer jeans that always had rips in them. They, you know, they looked like a wrestling heel stable, not like a boy band. Yeah. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. What are you doing? Looking down at your phone again. Are you looking for pictures of B44? Yeah. Sorry, Ted. It's been a while since they've <laughs> processed in my memory bank. I don't know what these freaks look like, so I'm just... <laughs> yeah. The... Look at this one picture. <laughs> they, clearly, they clearly look like they're on something. Yes. Okay. So you're going to have to post that picture some at some point this coming week so people know what you're referring to. Go to the Instagram feed, everybody, yeah, so you can see the picture of B44 that Brian's talking about. They, they, literally, they almost look like they were just booted off any like 90s teen show. Like the like the Taylor, the Taylor kids of home improvements. Around this time, this is what they looked like. They had kind of short, goofy hair like this. Yeah. It's actually uh, kind of funny. I just watched like a retrospective about home improvement last night. And you're right, they all had like spiky bleach blonde hair towards the end. Yeah, except for Mark, yeah. his was like dyed black because that was well, he, he became was a goth. goth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, or even just, I mean, look at any of those Saved by the Bell, the new class, the Hang Times. They some of them had hair like that. Yeah. Or even uh, what you call it, um, 
Boy Meets World towards the last couple seasons when they went to college. Yeah, uh, Sean and Eric always had like some pristine flows going on. Yeah, and then uh, yeah. Eric cut it, and then uh, what's his face? The Lawrence brother, Matthew? Yes. He, had the he short kind of hair. picked up with the flow, yeah. He, they, they both look like they could have been with uh, Scott Moffat there, because even Eric started <laughs> to have the goatee. You know what? Ryder Strong and Scott Moffat, if you put them side by side, or you put them in a lineup, I might not be able to tell the two apart. What are you talking about? Ryder Strong is much more handsome than Scott Moffat. <laughs> Wow, res- I don't know. I'll respect the Scott Moffat, but Ryder Strong's <laughs> got those soulful eyes. Anyhow, uh, just because I always try to keep it positive, just a positive for B44. Apparently, the twins became this duo known as Ryan Dan. They used their both of their names and combined them into one, Ryan Dan. And uh, they released like a ballad that became a big hit for weddings and stuff like that. So a lot of people have done their first dance to a B, technically a B44 song. <laughs> and that was a hit. So there you go. They, they did grow up a little bit. I just have not done my research on B44. <laughs> Nor will I. Anyway. Uh, hey, did you know that Prozac had another album coming out? Um it was called Saturday People, and it came out on November 7th of 2000 and got an American release the following year, so they did pretty good getting these uh, records out in the States. Uh, however, it did not sell anywhere close to Hot Show, but that's not to say it wasn't a success. It achieved gold status in Canada, reaching number 27 on the charts. This one got three singles. Um, it's not you, it's me. You. And I remember just Be as, which is a weird one, okay? Because be as is such a strange one. Be as white as you want to be, as black as you want to be, as brown as you want to, don't let anybody stop you. They released it as kind of an anthem for equality. Because you listen to the chorus like, be as black as you want to be, as white as you want to be, as gay as you want to be, as straight as you want to. Pretty simple unity song. I'll, I'll just but then play they have it. all these little. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Instead of singing it. But then they have all these little sound bites. And at one person, the guy's like, Hi, I'm Eric. Be as white as you want to. And in the video, they animated as this like bald guy with like a chain around his neck. And he's like, <laughs> looks like a total Nazi. And I was like, the fuck am I watching? I am Sarah from Chicago, Illinois. Be as proud as you want to. Be a jock if you want to be. I'm Jamie, San Diego, California. My name's Dave. Be as black as you want to. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. Be as shy as you want to. I go to Washington High. Be as white as you want to. People expect you to be cool. Sex is everybody bugs me at school. Be yourself. I mean, the cut of the video. It's just a... It's it's also... (laughs) It threw me for a loop. It's it's a weird thing to nitpick, Ted, when you factor that no one was doing songs like that, and in a in a very like I told what do you, you mean no one was doing songs about that. I, I mean, no one was turning it into like a big anthem as it's like it's okay to be gay, it's okay to be. That's this. true. Uh, I'll give them that. You're right, because usually um, those songs are about racial racial equality, not about sexual orientation equality. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, not only true. that. That's a one minor thing to nitpick when you factor the whole video is them leading this parade of people of different backgrounds walking hand in hand, waving a pride flag. Uh, and and you're, they weren't doing that back then. And you're absolutely right. 
And that that in itself was that's what makes it weirder. Is that that is a big step towards this you know equality and it, it, it was the first first one out the gates to do that you're absolutely right but then to have that weird sidebar with nazi boys telling everyone to be as white as you want to it just you you, you look through this big positive video they see this and you go what the fuck and then the video continues like nothing happened it's it's one of the, i think what they were trying to say ted is especially in that that kind of culture with hip-hop you know you get a lot of white kids trying to act black just like just be i think it's just send just be yourself kind of thing there's nothing wrong with just if you're a white guy just be yourself you don't have to try to be anything different or be tougher or be talk with a black sense because you just look like an idiot don't uh, be a poser you're exactly so i mean th- there's nothing wrong with being white Ted. <laughs> it's the way it came off though Oh, do you know what's hilarious? Do you know what's hilarious? Yeah. I know you so well. I thought uh, I was like listening to this one Were Saturday. You ready for this? I was listening to this. I was walking to a park just to do some like uh, a jog, and I was like, you know what? I could see Ted or. I mean, there wasn't social media back then, but I could see someone having an, a backlash is that the first line of the chorus is be as white. It's like, oh, why isn't it? Why isn't black first or something like that? I'm surprised you no, didn't that, have a bug up your ass I, over it. But. Right, but that wasn't what I was talking about. That's just the way the song goes. They're not ranking them. You know, there's no official order to this. And in the second verse, he says, be as gay as you want to first before he says, be as straight as you want to. So he's just saying, hey, whatever you are, it's OK. But to have Nazi boy go be as white as as you want to in the middle of the video is just odd it's just weird it just it's distracting did you ever think ted in the in the whole spirit of being inclusive they wanted to include the bald freaks too <laughs> oh you larry david <laughs> <laughs> clearly ld would have a problem with that because this guy shaved his head for a fashion choice he was not going bald slowly with the hair sticking out the back <laughs> So there you go. Got you with that. No, not necessarily. Unless he, unless he, uh, oh yeah, because he probably did it too. He's like Campbell. He could see himself going bald, so he jumped ahead of the curve. Oh, the premeditative one? Yeah. It's like someone. Larry doesn't, Larry's, they did a whole episode of Curb with this where Larry fired a chef at a restaurant because he caught him wearing a toupee and he said he misrepresented himself. (laughs) (laughs) Larry David is a psychopath. The LD doesn't like it when bald guys shave the sides of the back. He's he's like, nah, this is the hand you dealt. You wear it with pride. Yeah, but it's also how people can uh, kind of own it their way. Take it, uh, you know, not look like they're some sad, balding mess where they're just like, no, this is almost like a choice. So they can have a little more self-respect, not like the self-hatred like Costanza walks around with because he's losing his hair. Well, I'll tell you what, Brian. I'm slowly starting to lose my hair. So ask me when I'm like 42 and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I feel about that subject. But right now <laughs> oh, I'm hanging on to every strand I can. I cannot relate. I got nice long thick hair. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the highest charting single on this, which is No .com, no .org, no .ca. Not sure what the end of this is. But it peaked at number 42 on the charts, and it's pretty clear with that track name that Prozac was trying to mimic the success of Sucks to Be You. They wanted another meme-worthy hit, and they thought by latching onto the internet, that was a safe bet, but 
didn't garner the same results. Um, it felt dated, actually, even back in uh, 2000, and probably why none of the tracks on this album cracked the top 40. Did get a well, Juno nomination, though. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm going through the uh, the track listing here, and it wasn't, while the singles may not stack up with the ones on Hot Show, I love Pretty Girls, because as, as two guys who, let's just say, to put it nicely, we hit our stride... <laughs> not in high school i'll just say that um late bloomers yes late bloomers uh but so as people who definitely got flustered and nervous around pretty girls we could appreciate <laughs> that but also it's just a very catchy song and we might uh, as well go over what our tell was what was your tell you were talking to a girl you like you must have had a tell what was it because every time i try and talk to you my words keep falling apart I don't know. What was yours? Two. I got two. Yeah. Hot ears. You've seen me become tiny uh, hot ears before. <laughs> where my ears get bright red and they are hot to touch. And the other thing is the loudness. I just. Ah! <laughs> I mean, generally I people I was really into. There's a reason why I never asked any of them out or anything just because I was very uh, shy. And so I yeah. would just, you know have trouble looking him in the eye trailed off oh that's a big one yep i have trouble with that too yeah but i mean i've gotten better with it obviously but uh yes. back then it was just and this is again what uh, we've talked about this before my, my parents were not good at giving advice i was not good at taking advice so um no one was there to be like just look him in the eye and be like listen you and me are gonna go on a date i i <laughs> Uh, I think wasn't that an episode of Fresh Prince where Will's basically like telling someone's like you and me are going on a date tonight and they're like <laughs> there was something like that no yeah. no we're not he's like you're lost <laughs> but, yeah he was mad because Carlton got a date <laughs> and so I forgot about this so he's just frustrated and he goes <laughs> like yo cutie listen here <laughs> like that. I can't remember what he says oh god I'll have to go back and watch that but someone had to go to the mall I think so. Do you remember that one? Yeah, and him and Carlton are competing for the same girl. Oh, yeah, And she yeah, likes yeah. Carlton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I just don't remember what he says. Oh, we'll find it. Now I got to go we'll in a... Find it. In a uh, I got to go down a Fresh Prince rabbit hole in my free time now. Yeah. Look at this. Reminiscing about old sitcoms. A staple of Canada FM. Even if it has nothing to do with what we were talking about. Hey, well, you, we're going to review this album. You and album. I were raised on a lot of TV. What can we say? That's what we did. <laughs> yeah, much music was a part of that. So that's why we get the show from. Uh, yeah, I, you know what, Brian? I, was, I think I was a little bit less of a fan of this one than the first one. Uh, you know, I don't feel like the song quality or concept is any better or worse than I don't know. I just thought the hot show. It's about the same. I just thought the non-single tracks, like I really like Saturday People, yeah. and I just thought the the non-singles uh, were a little stronger than the singles. Saturday People is a good track. I like Saturday People and, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a few other ones like Feed the Nights. Uh, there's a like little Spanish one on this one. Um, uh, Monday Morning, if memory serves, Lonely American Nights was a good one towards the end of the album. I just remember them being very much stronger than the than Hot Show's non-single tracks, that's all. So that's why I kind of get behind this one a little bit more. I, th- I just thought it was a big step up. But each album 
the first three was a big step up. Like we'll I, we'll talk about the next album soon, I assume. But well, what I was about to say was, I feel like the reason why they kind of sputtered on this album because they did. You know, Hot Show was a runaway hit. This one kind of stalled. Um, I think it's because the fan base for Hot Show was like 13, 14-year-old kids. And at that time, they had already kind of moved on to more sophisticated music. So I don't know if there was an audience for Prozac anymore. Come on, Ted. What do you think? They, you think it I'm was, off base? It was the year 2000. The fans were not getting any more sophisticated. They were listening to Limp Bizkit. No, there was okay, but different stuff is what I should have said. Maybe not more sophisticated, but they were, you know, they were exploring what was out there a little sure. more. And I just kind of feel like maybe, maybe Prozac kind of seemed, even though it, the lyrics were very adult, maybe Prozac kind of seemed like it was for babies. And it's and that's one of those things with the novelty band where it's like uh, you almost because the characters don't age or anything like yeah. that, they kind of feel stunted. So it just kind of seems like same old hat. Yeah. That's that's one of the things I actually applaud about the gorillas. Like I don't know if their characters age, but they do go through this whole like there's all these story arcs and things that like yeah. do happen and I've been listen I've been on a gorillas kick recently. I was listening to Damon Albarn has basically been doing this whole sound machine project is the most during COVID, like during the quarantine. Like he was basically doing like a song a month almost. And oh, cool. um they did videos for it and the characters were a lot more grown up and looked different than they did when like Clint Eastwood came out. So yeah. Yeah. You know what? If, if you were producing the same product over and over again, and maybe it works for like the Simpsons or family guy for 34 years. Yeah. You can't, but it doesn't always work for a musical act because the musical landscape changes a lot quicker, especially. Yeah. Like the, the Euro beat rave scene lasted like, just like the ska wave in the nineties, about four yeah. years. It had a shelf life and, Maybe they caught the back end of it. So maybe like 98, 2000, that was when rave culture was dying down. The pop scene was kind of dying down. The guitar, like guitar rock was picking back up again with bands like Foo Fighters. So they're like, all right, we've lost the, <laughs> our, our product is expired. We've got to go back to the well. And that's probably what they did for album three. Well, we'll get to album three in just a second because they okay. did have one more kick in the can in the U.S. Because they, they you know, they, despite sucks to be you, defining kind of Canadian pop in the late to the, in the late nineties, they didn't really have that runaway hit in the states. So they partnered with Disney to market the compilation Ready, Ready, Set, Go, which was just a mix of tracks for the first two albums, and they released a new single on that album called Get a Clue. God tells me what I must do Wake up, boom, do it's me, it's you get a clue It's there inside of you Which was used in the Lindsay Lohan TV movie of the same name, which I have not watched yet, but it's out there. Unfortunately, both were largely ignored, and at this point, both Sony and Hollywood Records, which distributed Prozac in the U.S., well, they said, Oh, Balshire, Prozac. That's not a greeting. No, they said, they, <laughs> Hey, say, Prozac, you know it sucks means? to be you. Yeah, they said, Hey, Prozac, it sucks to be you, and they, they had to go find a, a new album, a new label somewhere. So that was uh, kind of the end of the first wave of Prozac, we'll say. Yeah. You know, Levine and McCollum weren't the only ones busy with side projects for the Philosopher Kings. In 2002, that was the year that Gerald Eaton released his solo album, Shake It Off. 
Now, because his production career was flourishing, Eaton decided that he wanted to take an alter ego on for this release, you know, distance himself from the producer guy, Gerald Eaton, and the singer, who was now going to be known as Jarvis Church. And if you know Toronto, you know that is two streets in Toronto, Jarvis and Church, and that's right around where Gerald Eaton grew up. So he did it uh, as a tribute to his old neighborhood from back in the day. And he co-produced his debut release, and he claims it was very inspired by electro soul acts like Prince and Jamiroquai. And we were talking about how Eaton might be the Canadian version of Prince. Uh, Nelly Furtado returns the favor to the man who discovered her uh, by contributing vocals to the track Fine Line. And the extremely underrated Esthero, who's a great Canadian artist who we might cover at some point on this. She chimes in on the track Run For Your Life, which is a real fun one. Cool, danceable ditty. Uh, that's one of the album's singles. Uh, also, you remember Jellystone? No. Money can't buy me happiness. He's on this album, what too. The, what a tickle to the old memory bank. <laughs> Jellystone, you only had one hit, but boy, wasn't it a hit. Um, <laughs> now, for being released in 22, uh, 2022, I am shocked by how hard it is to find this album. It's not on Spotify. Yeah, I couldn't find it. I was only it. able to find a couple of tracks on YouTube, watch the videos for. I, I really liked what I saw, but I couldn't listen to the whole thing in general. I could just say that what I heard was good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I wasn't able to hear that. I was able to listen to the 2008 one, but we'll talk we'll about that. To. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Well, unfortunately, Shake It Off uh, didn't catch on the way Church had hoped. However, his career per, uh, as a producer was on fire. He and West helped produce the Wicked Little Girls album by Estero. Title track on that album, I highly recommend. Great song. And uh, they'd also uh, earn another Juno Award in 2005 for Kanon's sophomore album, The Dusty Foot Philosopher. They also teamed to produce Kanon's follow-up, Troubadour, which has sold more than 82,000 copies in the U.S. alone. I think... now. Isn't Troubadour the one that has uh, waving flag? But also, is that it's not the one that has the great team up with Mo's Def and Shally Tuna? Yes, it is. I love that song. Yeah, Tuna Fish. Gotta <laughs> have your job in a minute. Yeah. Listen, to, listen to his self-titled album. You'll get that joke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it? I was listening. To Ch- I think I told you this. I was listening to Shally Tuna the other day, and he made a reference to Metal Lark Leonard. No. Metal Lark Lemon for the Carl Glowtriders. A Metal Lark Lemon. <laughs> Jacqueline. That guy made some of the most ridiculous references. Like Kadeem Hardison. Who makes a reference to yeah, Kadeem Hardison? I love that. As if my name was Kadeem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. All right. So I mentioned before how Prozac was uh, dropped by their label in 2002. Well, they signed with Maple Music in 2005. And released the incredibly stripped-down, cruel, cruel world in November of that year. Everything about this album was different, right down to the artwork of Simon and Milo. They're unrecognizable on the cover. Uh, And the Europop, Electropop stylings, those were gone. It was all toned down as Levine and McCollum opted for a more British alternative rock vibe. and I love it. It works really, really well. Yeah. Uh, imagine the Arctic Monkeys and the Streets. Remember the Streets? Yes. And they had a baby. When I think of you, when I 
I, I agree with you. And then I was listening to it last night. I was driving home. I was on a long yeah. drive. That's why I was listening to a lot of music on the way home. Um, <laughs> and I caught a couple of things as well. Um, because in some of those songs, he, you know, that low mumble register, it kind of reminds me of Jimmy Pop, the guy from the Bloodhound Gang. And okay. Um, okay. also there's a singer named... For some of the ones where he sings on a, that kind of low register, there's a guy named Mike Dowdy, who was uh, he was in this band called Soul Coughing. Uh, they're they're. I love Soul Coughing. Yeah, one of their songs I think was in that Jordan documentary. Yeah, uh, but, Super Bon Bon. Yeah, so Mike Dowdy. I've been listening to the I've been listening to the Last Dance. Uh, list on uh, Spotify recently. They compiled all the songs. Oh, nice. There's some good yeah, hip-hop yeah. from that era. Some great hip-hop from there. Um, but yeah, so Mike Dowdy, after Soul Coughing broke up, he had a solo kind of acoustic kind of type deal, but and he was on Dave Matthews' uh, record label. And so this one particular album that I was thinking of, it's called like Haunting or... I think it's called Haunting Melodic or something. Dave Matthews is on that. And uh, he just sings like... I'll, I'll send you a clip. It's uh, just same kind of sounds. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I'd like to. I'd like to hear that because I like uh, Soul Coughing's a band of getting into more. The, uh, check check out the song Circles by Soul Coughing. That's a great tune. Uh, you know what? I I really think this album works. It's it's something totally different. Uh, it got no publicity. I was shocked when I heard it, and it was one of those ones where they do something a little bit different on each track. Yeah. So you're kind of excited when the song turns over just to see what's going to happen. Oh yeah. Uh, I highly recommend it. Give it a shot if you like Prozac. Yeah. The um, I'm I, I I've listened to it a bunch of times. I just don't remember the song names, so I just want to quickly pull it up here. Uh, sure. So the the first three songs I loved uh, when I think of you, tricky and how beautiful and how beautiful is like a throwback to this uh, '60s oh big time pop yeah. and soul. Like that, yeah. this is definitely going to be, that song is definitely going to be on my little mixtape for sure. Um, yeah, that's a good one. And then, um, yeah, there's a few others that, are, it's just a top to bottom, especially when you weren't expecting, you're expecting like the Prozac synth pop round three, that this is completely three for a loop, not to mention they ditched all that, like those little interludes were like, hello, Simon, are you looking for love today? Like they just don't even talk about Simon and Milo. No, the story the story is largely ignored. Yeah, on this album, that's why, like I said, they don't even look like Simon and Milo on the cover. Yeah, uh, that maybe so, so. You know, they're not really playing into that two hundred year old war sort of thing. They're just trying to put out an album that was comparable to the alternative rock that was coming out of England at the time. Really? Yeah, because I I wouldn't be surprised if Blur uh, the late. Stuff yeah, there's a lot of Blur vibes Blur was in there. doing, like the, yeah. the song two with that very British singing, and even the if you listen to the album Think Tank, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a big inspiration. That wouldn't shock me at all. So uh, if you like Blur, if you like the streets, if you like soul coughing, apparently don't expect any cool double bass like there always is a soul coughing to us. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's still a good uh, album to check out and listen to. 
So assigned projects and uh, production credits more than accumulated. Hold the on. Philosopher hey, Kings. Ted, one second. Before you start up again, you know who I heard? I haven't listened to his podcast in a like, couple months, but Burr brought up soul coughing once recently. <laughs> no, I heard, I heard him talk about that. Yeah, and his wife Nia got him into it. Yeah, because Burr's such a square. He's like, if it's not ACDC or Led Zeppelin, he doesn't give a shit. No, he, he, he has fun learning certain songs on the drums. And if he's, no, it's this shit. No, I can't learn it. You know? <laughs> he doesn't care. It's, it's his thing. You know, he's in his box. But we all get into our box sometimes. It's fine. But yeah, no, you know what? He brought that up. I'm like, I remember Soul Cop. <laughs> this is a while ago. He must have brought him up a couple of times then. Yeah. Well, it's uh, probably, I, this was like beginning of the year. Yeah, it was probably like came, last spring when he was watching the Jordan doc because they were in that. So, yeah. So that when they came up on the, uh, or summer, whenever the hell it was. On the last dance playlist, I was like, oh, yeah, this song's baller. And uh, when I, uh, I started following them on Spotify, because I always like that. I don't need to walk around in circles, walk around in circles. It's such a great song. Anyway, All right. As we, you were. Get back. Okay. So, with side projects and production credits more than accumulated, the Philosopher Kings got back together in 2005 to record their third studio album titled castles uh somewhat surprisingly this release was largely ignored by the masses as it didn't really chart anywhere but did produce a trio of singles including beautiful creature oh, beautiful creature i'm dying to meet you oh. give back the love and castles in the sand oh, just tell me Uh, while none of those charted, I do definitely remember Give Back the Love being in pretty heavy rotation on much more music and on the radio station Chum FM with Roger, Rick, and Marilyn. And Castles in the Sand was something that we'd play all the time when I worked at Moose FM in Caledonia. Always liked that little number. Yeah, that song, it just sounds like something that would be playing in a movie or a TV show. When people are about to like kiss in the rain or there's some sort of dramatic yeah. like chasing the girl through an airport or something like that. That's the song that was meant for that shit. It's still a great song. Here's, I loved it, but You're right. I kind of see it as being the very special episode when the male female character on a sitcom, they're kinda of doing the Sam and Diane thing. Yeah. Will they won't they the whole season and you're having hyping it up. This is the episode that they finally get together and you're right, kiss in the rain and they're playing <laughs> Yeah, I totally hear it. Totally hear it. <laughs> totally hear it. Uh, it's a lot softer than the first two albums. Much more adult contemporary. Uh, filled with love songs. Here's the thing, though. On those first two albums, both of them, they're playing those smush tunes. You know what I mean? They're getting <laughs> dirty. They're very sexy. You know, uh, Gerald Eaton is very feeling himself yeah. when he's singing these tunes. I feel like he might have been holding a lot of that back for the Jarvis Church solo stuff. Yes. <laughs> and he thought, you know what? Let's just make this one commercial friendly and leave all the, the dirty, dirty songs to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think but, that it kind of hurt this album. I mean, it's still a quality album. It's just... Uh, yeah. It's, it's also one of those things. It's like... Uh, you know, okay. I I watched sixty one recently, and you know, in the movie yeah. sixty one, where Roger Maris had just come off like an MVP season, and then everyone's up his ass about breaking Ruth's record. It's like I just got an MVP. Like, 
like give me give me a break you know what i mean i could have one kind yeah. of stalled season but like everyone was pressuring them it's the same thing like the philosopher kings had two amazing albums and there are some bands who do nothing but hits not everyone is john kazale six oscar winning movies and he croaks but uh but yeah so i mean not everyone has a bit of a clunker on their record or on their you know their track record but this isn't even a clunker it's just not what we were expecting yeah, well, yeah, but also I think I think where, where the disappointment comes in is, and granted, we weren't waiting seven years. I knew what That's the true. songs on Castle sounded like when I listened to it, and I knew what the say. I knew of this change in in vibe. Yeah. Um, but if you're a Philosopher Kings fan and you've been waiting that period of time, and you go from this really funky R and B soul album to kind of light you know it, it's not quite it is department so I, I'm not gonna lie it's department store rock it's quality department store rock <laughs> but it's department store rock and the other thing too is this would have been the early 2000s mid 2000s uh, so they probably would have been in their 30s late 30s maybe 40s yeah. and so at that point you know when people are when you're in your 20s you just want to like you know Let's let's smoosh booties. Let's bump down. Whereas, uh, and when you're 30s, if you're still on the hunt for love, you're you're not you're not always fueled by lust. Sometimes you just want like a partner to, you know. It's like I had a yeah, long no, day at work. Did, I just want to sit feel, on the couch. It's, <laughs> it's not all about. It did feel like a logical progression. You're right. Yeah. So it's something I, that's I a little more comfortable and not edgy like the other stuff. I did note that "Beautiful Creature" and "Somebody to Love Me" stood out for me as as good tunes on this album. Um, it also felt a little backloaded. Like uh, I noticed, it was like middle, except middle loaded. Like I noticed the first couple ones, I was like, eh, 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 and then the middle you get into a nice groove, mm. and then it kind of peters out. Yeah. So it was kind of like a kind of came to a point, you know. Uh, now, while Gerald Eaton may have said, oh, "I'm getting on with my life. I'm looking for a." Looking for just a good woman to settle down to, and I'm, you know, gonna have a family and and not release songs about fucking. Uh, Jarvis Church did not feel the same way. I can tell you that. It's like in uh, me, myself, and Irene Ray's split personalities. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the uh, long way home is Jarvis Church's sophomore album, which came out in 2008. It is a rock-solid pop album. Eaton was born in Jamaica, like we mentioned early. So the dance hall influence, very front and center on this. Utilizes a lot of guests on this album, too. So a shout-out to the ones who steal the show here. Rock Supreme, Cecile, C4, Stacey Orico, and Mr. Peppa. They add a little little spice on that album. (laughs) Like, this this Um, album had so much pop appeal. He could have easily gone on tours with, like, Cardinal, Akon, stuff like that, been his opener. You know what I mean? I would have loved to have seen a Jarvis Church, Sean Paul mashup. Wouldn't that have been cool? Those two were made for each other. uh, Yeah. I would love that. Love that. Sean Paul makes every song better, but he can't get much better than Jarvis Church. It would have been a match made in heaven. Yeah, he would have just had these romantic things, and Sean Paul would completely take you out of it with his like uh, his hype man stuff. It's like people's <laughs> hearts are melting, and then there's just this guy on the side of the stage just yelling like an idiot. Just like, oh, oh loved it, love it. I, you know what? This song doesn't exist, and I already love it. <laughs> you kidding me? Come on, guys, get together. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. <laughs> Singles off of this album called The Lover's Kiss, which is a banger. I want to feel how it feels when lovers kiss. I want the 
that also so beautiful. So got a little story and I, I talked to my wife about telling the story on the radio she's okay with it okay um this album reminds me of a missed connection ah you ever have that it's back when i was a single man all my uh, all my connections are missed connections <laughs> hence the empty ring I, finger you've had some you've had some girlfriends though you've 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 had connections that you've fulfilled how's I that guess. there you go or i just uh, blew them up but whatever <laughs> can tell your yeah. damn story so girl came on the show and i remember she had this pina colada perfume or something like that that she wore it smelled very coconutty and oh brian it was intoxicating <laughs> and <laughs> we were just kind of digging each other's vibe and you ever have that when you finish the conversation with the person you just kind of you get all smiley you know what i mean you're like oh something good happened here not sure what it was we were feeling that. And the song, uh, So Beautiful, came on. And she started talking to me about how much she loves Gerald Eaton and Jarvis Church. She went and saw him at a vineyard. And I was talking about, we started hitting up all of the all soul and R&B stuff. So Jarvis Church, and we got into Prince, and we started talking some Jack 70s soul? stuff. Right? <laughs> did, yes, we did talk about Jack Soul. <laughs> we did talk a little, still believe in love. And I did not turn into that white guy that's always singing R&B music like I do on this podcast <laughs> in front of her. I kept my cool. And then she asked me how old I was. I think she said, you know, like, were you in high school during this period? Like, 91 or something like that was the era we were talking about. I'm like, no, I'm 26 <laughs> at the time. I'm not 26 anymore. Um, and she's like, oh. I guess she was, like, mid to late 30s. But, like, I looked <laughs> a little older and she looked a little younger. And I was still into her. I don't think she was into me anymore after that. So I never saw her again. And when I heard the Jarvis Church, and uh, that, that, that got me thinking about that one. And it was just like, you missed wrong your... place, wrong. You know, I shouldn't have said how old I was. I should yeah, have well, said. Well, I mean, she basically her, asked you, because like, <laughs> like, all you had to do is say, I graduated in 03, and she would have been able to do the math. Yeah, I, I could have done something. <laughs> That's like what she that. would have been but like, she... 03, I was already at my first divorce in 03. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know what? Hey, things worked out for old Teddy. Here. Hopefully things worked out for her as well. You're happy. So. That's all that matters. Uh, exactly. Who cares about anybody else? This bitch, this hopefully. As long as, <laughs> as long as I'm happy. Oh, isn't that the, the mantra of the, it should be on a patch on your jacket? <laughs> if only Teddy's happy. That's all that matters. Uh, well, not that bad. But uh, I was when I was doing some editing and kind of getting some little promo material yeah. ready for this. Because remember that initial one before you wanted to do it all in one shot, we were going to do Philosopher Kings in one go, the other two in another go. So I had a yeah. I was editing just Prozac and Jarvis Church stuff together, and so I was watching the video and something struck me as very odd in that video. And if you've never seen the video, it's literally uh, this this cute don't know her background brown skin so she I don't, i'm not going to speculate where she comes from but uh east indian is safe say she's east indian yeah probably uh okay 
And so he's got a thing for the, the takeout girl, but she's just kind of like, she has a shitty coworker and clearly like her, I guess her boyfriend's a shitty person and he goes to just try to cheer her up. And he's like, there's even a line in the song where he's like, I don't eat fast food, but I just go to like make her smile or something. I just go every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. And, um, yeah. But I'm like, unless she's like a 20-something working like her way through university, I'm like, this is very creepy because Jarvis Church is probably in his late 30s, maybe 40s by this point. He's hitting on the, the takeout girl. A little creepy, Jarvis Church. But here's the thing. Jarvis Church, Church shows up, and I am assuming he is wearing like kind of a green wrinkled up dress shirt that's unbuttoned so you can see his abs. And hair is kind of slicked back. Actually. Jarvis Church does not walk like a normal human being. He's kind of got the Nick Cage swagger to him. He's wearing. He kind of slopes a little bit when he walks. I cannot imagine any man, especially a man that treats this woman horrible, like the lyrics dictate, sticking with her man when Jarvis Church walks up. (laughs) Uh, just to try to make her happy and be nice and be a nice guy. You know what I mean? There's there's that's completely unrealistic that she'd stick with this piece of shit boyfriend. Well, the, you're you're right with the green. It's not a green dress shirt. Ah. It's a it's a green t-shirt, but you're 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 not far off. It's a sh- kind of a short like very short. It's like a t-shirt sleeve was cut in half. You know those shorts? Okay, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Show off some of the biceps. Yeah, so yeah, and it's yeah. tight. He's got the he's got the the pecs and he's got the abs and he's showing it all off, but he's also wearing so some So he's got the shirt on button just so you can see everything. Oh, it's right? a t-shirt. So, but it's it's oh, it's a t-shirt. It's okay. Form yeah, fitting. Yeah. Um Okay. And he's also wearing this stupid like pork pie hat like he's a Cuban tourist. Or <laughs> something <laughs> of course of course he is and uh so either way he's looking stylish and he's flashing the the pearly whites at the girl and he's just making her day but i mean oh, it could be a very what? sweet and innocent she, song she better not have stuck but... with that boyfriend <laughs> she better not have stuck with that boyfriend i swear well then again we're just we're going into prozac phase with the video for so beautiful by jarvis church like this really happened in real life and someone stuck with a guy who sounds like a real loser and turn down Jarvis Church. You know what we should do? We should, when we have free time, we should create fake Wikipedia articles about like the characters in these music videos <laughs> and what happened to them. <laughs> Be like, the, the cheating boyfriend was hit by a bus while he, uh, Jarvis Church and his lady friend drove off into the sunset. Yeah, at least it gives her a happy ending. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, speaking of Jarvis Church, uh, did not release uh, any real original material after The Long Way Home. But he did something called the Soul Series. And I don't know if he plans to continue this. And by all means, he should. Because if you're a fan of old soul like I am, you'd absolutely love this. He did tribute albums, one to Sam Cooke and one to Curtis Mayfield. They came out in 2015 and 2012. If you're a fan of Sam and Curtis, there's not going to be a whole lot of new stuff here. But if you're brand new to the genre and you just want to get a sample of it and you like Jarvis Church and you like his voice, make sure you check this out because he's doing good tunes. They're not original tunes, but they're good tunes. Also, first but to hold promote on there, Ted, these, say you're you're not the only fan of soul music. I love Sam Cooke. I wasn't get, taking anything away from <laughs> your enjoyment of Sam Cooke. You're like, I, I just well, well, you know what's funny? You know what's funny, Brian? Check this out. Look what I'm wearing right now. You're wearing a crappy this orange is... police shirt. Like you're on... <laughs> no, this is like like Sam Cooke shirt. Oh. I didn't even know you See? had a Sam Cooke shirt. Yeah, I got it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, they had all kinds of shirts. Well, I was a little bummed out because they had, like, shirts of... They're supposed to have a shirt of, like, every band. And I thought, this is fucking awesome. And I was looking for the band 
Canadian, right? Yeah. When we were there. And nothing. They had no material related to the band in their uh, gift shop. And then I went for uh, Sam Cooke and found the shirt. So I got the shirt. Uh. So, yes, it was my second choice, but you know, I, because I'm so tall and bulgy, I uh, I can't find many shirts of my size. So instead, I'm just going to do <laughs> I'm going to do my tribute to Sam Cooke and just take up smoking on a stool. <laughs> hey, if you can smoke enough cigarettes like he could and still sing <laughs> yeah. that good, I'd be amazed because I'll tell you, if, if Sam Cooke was not horribly murdered, um <laughs> Hopefully his voice his voice wouldn't have deteriorated by the time he hit like sixty. You know, I mean, be like Bob Dylan. I was about to say, <sighs> yeah, like Bob Dylan. I think he was a smoker, but not nearly to the degree that Sam Cooke was, and he just sounds. Oh, he, he was, just sounds like an old I fax think they, machine. They could have gone tit for tat, Bob Dylan and Sam Cooke in the sixties. Almost every picture you see Bob Dylan and he's got a cigarette. Yeah. Or a joint. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And there was an old man. He switched to cigars. You'd see him with like a cigar. Just see like George Burns. Do you know who? Uh, standing there. <laughs> mumbling away. Do you know who Sam Cooke would have sounded like if you lived to modern times? He would have sounded like that nerdy black kid from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> well, okay, why are we assuming, though, that the cigarettes would have deteriorated his voice? He could have risen above it. I guess that's true. My dad's been a smoker since he was like 14 and his voice is still pretty pristine. But he's, he's, he's always been pretty gruff, though. It's like if you're starting gruff. <laughs> <laughs> if you sound like this before you smoked. It's not like, I sound like this, you know? Like, no, sorry, he's, he's got sound. a pretty, like, clean voice. He just has a... So it's more of his delivery that could be gruff sometimes. But his voice itself... People have told my dad back in the day he should have gone into radio and uh, done voice work. Some guy back in, like, the 70s and 80s is like, you should have been a voice actor. My dad's like, eh, how, how am I going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Getting back to uh, uh, Jarvis Church. Um, what, you don't want, you don't want to talk about my Soul dad? Series albums? You know, I, you know what? Doing the voice of an old smoker hurts my throat. <laughs> okay. I'm almost done the podcast. And now you got me doing these gravelly voices. Because we, we brought up Sam Cooke, and you're amazed that he always is smoking a cigarette in every video you see of him, singing away. And so we start talking about what he would have sounded like, and then we got Bob Dylan in on it, and now my voice hurts. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But to promote the Soul Series albums, uh, Eaton did these videos where he'd have his backup singers with him, and there's one where he's doing Having a Party by Sam Cooke. And he gets on a subway and he's just literally, these people have no idea that they're on TV. There's a bunch of people dressed to like go to a Jays game. And he's walking through the subway with this band and they're, we're having a party. It's so cool. And of course, he's killing it in all the videos. So make sure you check those out. We'll put them on the on the old iGram so uh, you can see them. They're great. Uh, Prozac would get another release in the 2010s. 2017's Forever 1999. What a clever name for an album. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of building on the cool alternative rock direction they're heading on on Cruel Cruel World, well, they took the uh, nostalgia boat and they returned to their roots on a hot show and Saturday people. Uh, even to release this, they went on the road with 90s acts Aqua and Wigfield for the Rewind Tour. Do you remember Wigfield? No. Saturday night. Saturday. It basically goes like that the entire song. <laughs> Check it out. It's 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 a hit at the the parties up here in Thunder Bay. I play it a lot. Oh, 
cool. You sound like a fucking yank. What? My singing of what? No, it's pronounced aqua. You said no, it's aqua. It's aqua. You're so goddamn Yankee. Brian, Brian agrees with me. It's aqua. Sorry, my wife just walked in and she says it's aqua. I say it's aqua. You both are from the same fucking town. Of course, you're going to pronounce it the same. Aqua. <laughs> yes, it's aqua. No, it's not. Aqua. Well, we have been told we sound American before. So, and growing up like an hour and change away from Buffalo, it makes sense. And watching American TV. Yeah. It'll do that to you. Yeah. 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 What'd you think of Forever 1999? Um, I mean, it was basically them just trying to recapture the era that's where they had any success, unfortunately, because the, the other one, the 05 album, Cruel Cruel World, just did not do it, even though it was musically huge step up. And, yeah. And lyrically huge step up. Um, yeah, they just tried to have one more kick of the can, almost like... Uh, there's certain bands that do these albums that uh, where it's they actually create these albums that are supposed to be a trilogy. Like even like Real Big Fish did it with their first couple albums. Like it was supposed to be like this ongoing saga. And so Okay. It basically it's like the 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 first one is them in a band trying to get success. Then the other one is the the next one is them uh, looking for love, right? No, no, it's them reaching that success and then uh, and not cheer up. That was done out of label. Wait, you're talking about real big fish? Yes. <laughs> you're talking about Prozac? No. I was explaining the whole structure and then uh, not cheer up. But the album after that is them on the decline of their like their wave of success and being bitter about it. So it's this whole thing. And lots of bands do it. That was just the first one that came to mind. So I think this is probably them, the final leg of their, like, trying to find love. Except it's for the modern age, because they have that song, Love Me Tinder. Um, right there. Trying to find the meme-worthy single. Yeah. But uh, it was fun. There's a couple of good, like, that would have been great club tracks in that era of Euro pop, uh, Euro pop and dance and everything. I forget what they're called, but there's a couple of really good ones on there, but... All in all, it's just kind of standard Prozac. A couple of great songs, a couple of catchy songs. Hey. Well, while we've gone through this journey of Philosopher King's Prozac and uh, Jarvis Church, I almost forgot his name for a second, <laughs> um, we've, we've also gone very thoroughly through the, the accolades of Gerald Eaton and Brian West and James Brian McCollum and Jason Levine. I want to take a minute to pay tribute to the behind-the-scenes career of keyboard player John Levine. Uh, you can make a killer playlist of the tracks that John Levine has written throughout his career, uh, but I'll give you my top three. Um, here's one. Do you remember this one? Body Talks by The Struts sounds, featuring Kesha. Sounds familiar. Your body talks. Your body talks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, he wrote that one. Uh, here's one for you. It's in like every Hallmark movie about, <laughs> or every movie trailer about someone who's who's got like a disability and they triumph over it. Fight song by Rachel Platten. Do you know that? This is my fight oh, song. Yeah. My wrong, all right song. Take he, back my life song. Take back my life song? Apparently, I fucked up the lyrics. <laughs> and number one would be Honey, I'm Good by Andy Grammer. Do you remember that one? 
No. They might have played at my wedding. It's nah, nah, honey, I'm good. I can have another Ugh, one. I probably should. That song's the worst. <laughs> I love that song. I mean, That's a it's been that one. It's been played in sports arenas the world over. So, I mean, I'm sure it's probably gotten a lot of appeal. He's probably made some money off that, but ugh, it's so terrible. Big money. Oh, I love that tune. Anyhow, play the song, Brian. Play the song. <laughs> so, no, no, honey, I'm good. I can have another, but I probably should not. I got somebody at home, and if I stay, I'm... Ah, oh, there we Still go. Still stinks. Good, good shit. Good shit. All right. Uh, the latest release from the Philosopher Kings came out in 2018, Return of the Philosopher Kings. And I know you thought this was one of their better releases. I loved it. All right, go, go tell me why, because I didn't get a chance to listen. Okay. <laughs> you texted me the other day, said you're about to listen to it. <laughs> I, I am a busy man. Busy man, my ass. It was I'm a busy long man. weekend. Nothing's, I had a lot to do. Things were just starting to open up. Barely got it all in. What did you do? I moved a futon and a couch, and I went, oh, I got a 10K walk-in yesterday. That was pretty good. Yeah, and unless you were walking in absolute silence, you could have put that song on, or that album on 10 times. I was walking times. with my wife. Oh. What, am I going to put the headphones on in my ears and be like, shut up, honey, I'm trying to listen <laughs> to the Philosopher Kings. I don't know. Some people do that. I see that with kids all the time these days, walking together and they have music on. Although, actually, there's multiple times when we were younger, I'd be with you and you'd have like your headphones in when we were walking yeah. in a group. Yeah. And then I'd turn yeah. and yeah. try yeah. to the talk one, to the you. The one ear. And you'd yeah, like, huh? you get them in the one ear. Yeah, I remember that. So you can have a little soundtrack going while you're walking. And then I remember with you, you'd have it going and then you'd look at me. This happened every walk. <laughs> you look at me and go, put the other headphone on. <laughs> Just trudge. Trudge off. Anyway, um, the yeah this this starts out with uh, the first three songs: "Heavy Heart," "Still the One," "Good Life." Very uh, mix of the adult contemporary. Uh, still have a bit of a jazziness to them, kind of returning a little bit to form, but still trying to keep more pop and accessibility to it. There's a song called "Best in You," which is, it felt more like a Jarvis Church song because it's he's talking about like a, okay. a, a girl who's kind of like it's very body positivity because she's talking about how she hates yeah. like her legs or she hates her whatever and he's just kind of saying he's trying to see the best in her it's a it's a great sure. song there is also a phenomenal cover of linger by the cranberries i think it's whoa yeah philosopher king's doing cranberries yeah i'd like to hear that and uh they redo castles in the sand <laughs> but they punch it up a little bit um i'm sorry I, I can't imagine anyone singing that song without an irish accent yeah. Like even when I sing it to myself in the car, I'm doing a big. <laughs> you have to let it linger. I'll play a clip for in, uh, in the podcast. Do you want me to play a little bit right now? I'll edit this out. Yeah, but play the clip, Brian. Play the clip. But it's so Maybe I'm just a freak then. That whenever I hear something with an accent, I've got to intimidate it in the accent. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like, am I just not normal, or did Gerald Eaton just show extreme restraint for not throwing an Irish accent in there? Well, I mean, or am I just a freak? You're a bit of a freak, but also it's uh, it's it's one of those things. Uh, we as non the most 
basically the opposite of professional musicians you can get. Uh, when we go into a bar or a party, if a song like that would come on, we'd all be like uh, arms around each other in a drunken stupor. Like, look at the 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 I would wa- I'm going to be by the Proclaimers, uh, and until somebody does a cover in their own way. That's not in a big Scottish accent. Everyone's gonna, every jackass is gonna sing it that way. Scottish accent. So it would have to become bigger than I'm gonna be because it it just won't. Yeah, because everyone loves that. Yeah, but that's the well, good for Eden for for pulling it off his way. That's but that's the beauty thing. That's a song that I didn't think was coverable. That's the beauty thing about covers in general. Everyone, it's uh, if you're not gonna do it with your own take, what the hell's the point? Yeah, look at look at Biscuits Faith. Covering George Michael, very different in their own style. Very good. There's tons of covers like that. That then look when they tried to do "Behind Blue Eyes" by the uh, by the Who. That was horrible. <laughs> or uh, there you go. Good cover by Biscuit. Bad cover. <laughs> I mean, not every cover should be covered or tried, but uh, I mean, I feel like there's certain people that don't do. Actually, never mind. I was gonna say, look at the Chili Peppers covering uh, Hendrix. Yeah. And they also Stevie. did, uh, but how about, you know, you're talking about Chili's doing covers, higher ground. Yeah. Stevie Wonder asked them to do it. Did he actually? Because he knew that they'd bring, oh yeah. Yeah, he asked them to do it because he knew they'd bring their own style to it. And then also, uh, what they, Love Roller Coaster was another Yeah, that was a great one, the Ohio players. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what's funny? A couple of weeks ago, my supervisor at work, because normally we would get a, a monthly staff meeting with our team. Yeah. And... Since we're, and we, we'd order in and have a nice like hour and a half meeting and just hang out. Since we're in COVID times and everything, and we're still working from home, uh, we try to do something, whether it's a game or whatever. So my my supervisor knows like, I crushed. They're doing a name that tune, and I won the last one. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, so, no one would stand a chance. No. And so the uh, they're like, I was like, do you want me to do it? Then run the next one. So my supervisor was like, "Yes, thank you," because that way you can give everyone else a chance. I played the Red Hot Chili Peppers version of Higher Ground, and someone guessed it. They didn't know it was well. They said the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but they didn't know the name of it. That drives me nuts. But uh, no one knew it was a Stevie Wonder song. Oh my God! How old are these people you're working with? Uh, my supervisor is probably in her early 40s. The others were anywhere from 23 to 40, maybe. Okay. All right. Well, you're in your 40s. You should know that, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. But, but we knew that. We, when, who are we to judge? We knew that when we were like 16. <laughs> we're freaks. We've said it many times on this podcast that you and I are freaks. We remember everything. We hang on to every little thing. We take everything incredibly seriously, incredibly literal. And it just proved tonight we were arguing over ridiculous band histories for Prozac, who don't even exist. One of the guys doesn't even have a neck. <laughs> we're, we're finding plot holes in their band's history. Were they supposed supposedly traveled through time? Like, they, they, they were freaks, bro. <laughs> I will, anyway. I will say this, though. The one thing that always okay. bothered me throughout those first couple of Prozac albums, the stupid computer doesn't care about Milo. It's never like, hey, Milo, are you going to find love? Actually, there's one song. I think it's on Saturday People. Um, there's a Milo song, yeah. But it, they make him sound like to be a pervert. 
It's because I was on a hot show. I thought was it? it was like a looking at the girls or something. Yeah, like that. It, was, it almost it sucked. It was a bad song. It was, yeah, it's not a good song. And it but it made it sound yeah. like he's this voyeuristic perv who likes to watch people in the like yeah. like getting down. But I think it's just him. Like I think it's saying he doesn't. He likes to go to the club and not dance. He just likes to watch the girls bump and grind. But uh, it yeah. just it, at first it just comes off very perverted. Like he's just some creep. Well, we've been around the world in this. We've covered, I think we pulled it off, talking about Philosopher Kings, Prozac, and Gerald Eaton, but it'll be up for our fans to decide. Um, personally, I think with the Philosopher Kings, we covered it already. They didn't hit their niche because I think they were just a little too ahead of the game. I think if they came out later and, uh, you know, when the Bruno Mars stuff came out and everything like that, and people were really vibing to that old soul music, I think that they would have uh, had a lot more international acclaim. Uh, Prozac, I also think we hit the nail on the head, that they just kind of, their audience outgrew them. Yeah. Fast, you know? And they could have found the new audience with Cruel Cruel World, but the name Prozac brought up memories of Sucks to Be You and everything like that, and people weren't giving the new stuff a chance. So... As far as Gerald Eaton goes, I don't think he wants Jarvis Church to blow up huge in the U.S. You know what? I think he's happy being a producer and a writer and doing the occasional album. So I think they're all happy with the careers that they found. Oh, yeah. Especially just it, the fact that they were able to transcend. Like we're, we're almost talking about this as a tribute to you don't have to define yourself by one skill. Oh, I'm just a guitar player in a band. The yeah. fact that this... Yeah even with just having a little bit of success as a Canadian band can offer you so many offshoots that it can, you know, exceed the band's wildest expectations, which is great. Uh, Cause that's why we're not doing this episode. Like what band was it? I think it was ill Scarlet. Um, okay. Where we are, we're almost like pitying them. Whereas it's like, come on, they could have had it earlier. <laughs> whereas like for these guys, it's like, we're, it's more of like a loving tribute as to like, these guys were so talented and that's why they had success elsewhere. Whereas these other guys were like, they don't need the philosopher Kings because they can come back to that when they're passionate. You know what I mean? When they like, we got something to say yeah. as the philosopher Kings, but we're not starving for a paycheck because we have these other great revenue streams coming in as writers and producers. Yeah. They can release so music whenever they want. <laughs> And you know what? McCollum and Levine could turn on the, I don't know, uh, MacBook. What were you? What, Windows 95? They could turn that back on and make another Prozac album if they want. No, this, it would and be the, uh, the, the Apple, the, the ones that were like a bowling ball. The one that you had back in the day. Yeah, what was that called? The, it wasn't an iMac. I don't remember. I know the one with like the funky sides and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can just turn that back on and make uh, another Prozac record whenever they want. And so like, and you know what? They're, they're going to find ways to discover new artists. And there's always that next Nelly Furtado that needs a guy with a good ear like Gerald Eaton to go listen to and write music for. So they, uh, it, it's kind of a cool thing at how many of these artists we've covered so far on the show that have found that second life as a producer and, uh, the philosopher Kings, no yeah, exception. And also, even though the music industry is a different entity now with Spotify yeah. and playlists and you, you just never know where someone might like someone might have this summer club mix that they, you know what I mean? And, uh, mm -hmm so beautiful might be on it or like one of the philosopher kings kind of summary songs might be on it and then like boom they get a second life because of that or yeah. something or it might pop in or like like we were talking about it might pop in a movie you never know 
Well, Drake might have grown up listening to the Philosopher Kings, and he might sample Hurts to Love You. And then that becomes yeah. a hit. You know, you, you, exactly, exactly. Well, you know what? We're going to take another look. On, oh, the next week. Sorry, next week's episode. Uh, we're going to be looking at a band that are music legends. It's a doozy. It might take us two hours to get through because they're still making music to this day. It was one of Bryant's first uh, bands that he discovered independently on his own. And I first remember hearing them on a commercial on the radio <laughs> where the stoner guy was being asked who sings the song. And he goes, oh, Sloan. <laughs> And me and Brian do that voice every time we talk about Sloan. We're going to be doing our tribute to Sloan. That's going to be a fun episode. It's going to be a lot of great music to listen to. And it's going to take a while. So. Yeah, we're either going to do two parts or just like the Moffats, you're just going to strap it yourself in for a long one. <laughs> what did the Moffats clock was, out to again? Like no, four hours? Like, <laughs> we we recorded it so much that it took us five hours to record it because it was twice, but yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. clocked in at about 2.10, 2.15. And hey, Pat's on the back. As far as we know right now, I can see my levels. I'm still recording. This will be the first show since Treble Charger that we've recorded in one day. <laughs> oh, we did Ill Scarlet. Oh, that was after. So there we go. No, Ill Scarlet was right. before Treble Charger. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. All right. Till we meet again, folks, make sure you head over to the Instagram. Give us a follow. If you support us on Apple Music, give us a five-star review because it's just like Dennis Reynolds. Me and Brian are five-star men. And, uh, <laughs> you know, be honest. Uh, if you think that we stink, give us a th- actually still be nice. Give us a three-star. You know what I mean? Yeah, help help, help get the, grow those reviews. We can really use the help. Ted has and, a very uh, fragile yeah, ego. Yeah, me, I don't give a like fuck. You can say what you want about me. Ted, Ted has his universal no. need to be here's loved. The, here's the thing Brian's forgetting. Brian holds a <laughs> grudge like no other. I, I've said this before. Me and Brian could be at a mall, and I could go over to Brian. There could be a group of people standing there, of 20 people, and I could go over to Brian and go, hey, look at that guy. He's a real douche, isn't he? Brian would find somebody. Even though I just said, look at that guy. He's a real douche. <laughs> He'd find someone and go, Yeah. Whether it's his hat, the way he wears his pants, a stupid look on his face. He'd find something to get him incest and obsess over this guy. That's what you do. And you're just telling me no, I'm no, petty. I'm petty in a funny, like, <laughs> in a funny how he's way. like insane that this wouldn't actually annoy a normal person. You're petty in the sense that like, if you get one bad knock against you i once told you i said there's someone at our school that does not like you it was literally out of an episode of the weekenders and you went you went nuts <laughs> like oh oh tell me i need a name right now ah, you're freaking out like tino tonatini and it's a weird it's a weird thing though not to be liked just because people yeah you know what i've learned over time being in radio where i've worked um i have learned the hard way that not everyone's gonna <laughs> like you a lot of people say some really mean <laughs> things about you, but you know what? It's Especially because it Ted has predominantly worked in a lot of smaller markets. Uh, like he lived, he worked yeah. in Perry Sound for what two years, year and a half, two and a half, uh, years? about three years, th- okay. about three years. And that's a small community of years. you either yeah. get these people who come in for a weekend or a couple of weeks here for the summer, 
Uh, and then you get a bunch of dedicated locals and who don't have anything going on. So they listen on their porches to that radio station tooth and nail. You get the slightest hiccup. You make a mistake over Oof. like you, you get a, a talking point wrong. Like, you know how sometimes we'll throw out our little off the cuff comments about, oh, I think it was this song or I think it was this episode. We might be wrong. They'll call up the station and correct you. And they probably have chirped you plenty. God, I remember one time. Uh, my baseball team. Uh, this one team was big at chirping. They would like scream at you for the dugout if they knew you. And I was kind of playing it cool because I was just in just my third year in uh, Perry Sound. I didn't know that many people out and about, right? And I played third base, and they started going, "I think it's okay for the moose." <laughs> <laughs> And then they started coming down. Hey, do you work for the moose? I was like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> ah, why do you play the same songs all the time? Huh? Are you that loud guy? Are you the loud guy in the afternoon? Oh. And some guy just yells, hey, fuck the moose. Just like, fuck El Scott, fuck the moose. I was like, Jesus. Yeah, these people, these people that really guy. take it personally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it turned out the one guy called in and he wanted to hear some country song that we didn't have. So he got mad. I, the only time that ever happened. <laughs> That's weird. We didn't even play country. We're yeah, a country you were station. like a top 40 station. We, we were, we played, yeah, we played like, uh, they called it the anything genre. So basically we played big 70s and 80s rock hits, but we'd also play like the current hits. So like we'd play Katy Perry and we'd play ACDC, but we weren't a country station. This guy wants to like fishing in the dark or something like that. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have that. And, you know, <laughs> You should have been like, you should have been like, like listen, pal, take your little outboard and why don't you go fishing in the dark? Then you'll hear it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, and yeah, hit us up on the Instagram. Check us out on Spotify and Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Later, son of Menjay. Oh my God. Come on, Paul Rudd, get it together. 